Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. My name's Thomas. I'm also, like Hannah, part of the team here, and it's really great to be here this morning, isn't it? Um, Today, we're going to have a little bit of fun. You up for that? Yeah? Okay, so um, whoever said church wasn't fun, probably right. Have to agree with them. Um, But today, we're going to buck that trend. Um, But while doing that, we're going to be short, we're going to be fun, we're going to talk about Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. It's going to be great. Um, in all that, I really want to encourage us um, not to associate having fun with being flippant, because we really want to hear God's voice today. I really feel that God has got um, lots of things that he wants to say to all of us today. Um, so we're up for fun, yeah. We're up for listening to God as he speaks this morning. Awesome. Um, so we're going to begin with a little game. Um, we're going to do some myth-busting as we read our Bibles today, so I want to get into the spirit of it um, with something. So here's how it's going to go. Um, I will start with a statement, and together, all as one, I want you to finish that statement for me um, with what you believe to be true. Okay? So, first statement here. Bananas grow on... Interesting you'd say that. Because although we call it a banana tree, the stem doesn't actually contain true woody tissue. In reality, it's a herbaceous plant or a herb. So, that's myth number one out the way. Number two, chameleons change color to fit in with their... Interesting you'd say that. (laughs) While most believe it's so that they can blend in with the surroundings or background, the primary reasons that chameleons change color are to regulate their temperature or communicate with other chameleons. So every day's a school day, isn't it? Not Sunday. Sunday isn't a school day. So... um, Goldfish have memories of how many seconds? Two seconds. Interesting you'd say that. The idea that with every lap around the fishbowl, your goldfish is experiencing the world as if it were completely new is actually factually incorrect. Goldfish actually have a fairly good memory. In fact, they can be taught to respond to different light, music, or other sensory cues. So, there you go. Wasn't that fun? Round of applause for the game. Um, So we are in the second week. That was an amazing start to a preach, wasn't it, actually? I'm really pleased with that. We're in the second week of a new autumn series called Witch Jesus, which is a bit of of a funny title. Um, Nothing's changed since last week. There's still only one Jesus. Um, But Jesus, in the account written up by John, makes a whole load of claims about himself, and he does bunch of things that maybe we never knew about that maybe challenges the preconceptions that we have about the person of Jesus. John says that Jesus at one point spat on the ground, made a sort of little mud pie, put it on somebody's eyes, and then their eyes got healed. What? John said that Jesus did this amazing kind of Indiana Jones impression. He fashioned this whip out of rope and then just drove everybody out of the temple. Which Jesus did that? And which Jesus did you bring to church today with you? The Jesus that you thought got annoyed with you when you were five minutes late? The Jesus who was disappointed that you chose not to wear a shirt and tie to church? 
Which Jesus did you have with, with you this week? Was it the Jesus that you thought maybe wished you hadn't bought such a nice car? What's at stake here is huge. It's a really big deal. John 12 says that Jesus claimed this about himself. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. When we see Jesus, we see God. What we think about Jesus, we think about God. What we think about God surely shapes the way that we see the whole world, ourselves, our words, our steps, our decision makings, and and what everything really. So you get the idea. Let's open our Bibles up at John chapter 2. So I have the New Testament, and it's the fourth book in there. And we're going to continue our fun with a story about Jesus at a wedding. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And all of his disciples believed in him. We just pray for a moment. I just want to pray really simply, um, God, that we would have a fresh encounter with you today as we read your word. Thank you um, for that song that we've been singing, that you are life, you are hope, you are peace, and actually you are here with us today as well. And I pray that we wouldn't be distracted, I pray that we would be tuned in to the speaking of your Holy Spirit to our hearts. We are yours, God. Amen. Amen. So some of us have heard this story already. Some of us know it um, through that song that we love to sing so enthusiastically. Water you turned into wine. And, and, and we're at the beginning um, of the Gospel of John. And this is pretty much the beginning of what we know about Jesus as an adult. As a missionary, as a son, as a brother. It all kicks off here. And just to, just to start us off, don't you just love how Jesus' launch party was at a party, was at a wedding? And in a way, that says that, oh, we could just stop and we'd be done. Jesus kicked it all off at a wedding. He liked to have a good time. Maybe you never even knew that about Jesus. We've got an alpha launch night on Wednesday. It's going to be amazing. Do bring your friends. But I want to be honest with you. It's not going to be as fun as this party that we're talking about here. I'm sorry. 
It's just true. These, these weddings were amazing. Everybody from the community piles in, whether you know the bridegroom or not, whether you're a second, third, or fourth cousin, or, and it might even last a few days. These were huge events for the community. And the interchange between um, Jesus and his mother, Mary, has to be one of my favorite things um, in this gospel and potentially in the whole Bible. Mary says, go on, Jesus, um, help them out, would you? They've run out of wine. Jesus says, woman, do not bother me, for my time has not yet come. And, and when I was preparing, I just couldn't get the image, and I had to share it with you, of my mom coming into my room when I was a teenager playing um, FIFA on the, on the PS2. Thomas, your room is a tip. You haven't done your violin practice. It's your turn to wash up, and it's September, and you still haven't done those Christmas thank you cards. <laughs> Woman. Do not bother me, for my time has not yet come. And actually, when you get stuck into the kind of text, he wasn't being as, as, as silly as I was. Um, he was actually treating his mother with huge respect. So, kids. Um, there is a serious question underneath all of this, and, and I wonder whether you can resonate with it at all. I think often individually and as a nation perhaps as well, we've got this idea of God as a boring God, as a killjoy God. He's the one that stops the party. He's the one that says, right, lights off, come on everybody, it's time for bed. Whereas actually it clearly reveals to us, if we believe that Jesus is pointing to the one who sent him, that Jesus was the one getting this party started. His contribution to this huge event in the life of the community that he was part of brought great joy for many people. Pretty cool. Has God brought that joy into your life? Has he brought it into our lives? Have we even let him begin to speak his joy into our lives? Has the, the presence of Jesus made your life more fun and more free? There's no accident that John included this story in his gospel. This is the question he is asking of us. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? And are you ready for this Jesus? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and God wants to inject joy and life into our lives. This morning, every day, that's his heart. When, if we're honest, our lives can look a lot more like an extended funeral party than actually a celebration of life and everything that God is good for. And what if, what if, not the whole of, but what if one of the church's callings was to bring in a bit of fun into the world? What if that was part of our mandate to be light in, in the midst of darkness? What if we weren't supposed to just miss that party and have our church meeting, but what if we're supposed to bring Jesus to the party with us and in us? As weird as that might sound to some of you this morning. I was at a wedding um, last week in, in Northern Ireland, um, glorious Northern Ireland. Um, it was fun. We danced the night away. Um, I was best man, and I made the groom cry in my speech, so that was a success. Um, and, and there was this guy um, called Christian um, who worked at the venue that we were at, and actually, I probably should have asked permission to use his name, but he's never going to hear this talk, so it's all right. Um, 
And, and his job was basically to make sure that everything went really, really smoothly um, on the evenings, maybe talk to people, make sure people know what's happening. Um, but we'd ask somebody else to do that role, so he basically didn't have a job for the whole day. Um, but nevertheless, <laughs> he still, um, he still at, at one point came and shared. He said, guys, is it all right if I share with you? Um, and he grabbed the mic, which was kind of slightly controversial because we hadn't asked him to do that. And uh, technically, it wasn't his wedding, but it's fine. I'm over it. Um, and he said, guys, I just want to share. Will you just let me share? I've been working at weddings for ages and ages, and this has been the most incredible experience that I've ever had. My life was all over the place, and I just feel this incredible sense of joy. And he started crying. Um, and it just, he was just saying, the way that you guys have interacted with each other, the speeches just really moved me. And, um, <laughs> and he said, there's just something different about what's going on here. And actually, it was so cool because there were loads of people that kind of jumped off the back of that and, and went and chatted with him and shared their faith. And, and they actually said to him, there's a reason that you are feeling what you're feeling, and it's because Jesus is here among his people. Because we weren't just celebrating the union of two people there, we were celebrating God in their lives. And, and as we did that, God was present with us, and it was incredible. And I was just so encouraged um, preparing this talk, thinking about that last week, that God just didn't show up at one wedding 2,000 years ago. Actually, God's presence and his joy are always near, and, and they come through us. Even amongst the pain, even amongst the ordinariness of our everyday lives. And so I'm going to repeat that question. Are you ready to encounter Jesus in a fresh way? Because he wants to meet with us. And let's be honest. There are a few of us here that would be a little bit uncomfortable with Jesus providing 180 gallons of wine at a local wedding. You know, Jesus, what if it all went to waste? all that lovely wine, and the killer question, what if people had a little bit too much? And I'm not condoning that for one second, so don't get me wrong. But I bet you, my last dollar, that every single religious person's eyes was on Jesus that evening at that wedding, just watching him, waiting for him to slip up and make a mistake. Faith in God, in Israel, had for many people um, started off as this incredible pioneering mission through deserts and through wildernesses with miracles and heartbreak, and it had changed over the years. It had become this kind of game where you had to avoid certain things so that you could win or just not lose. You know, when you're like a kid and you just try and avoid the cracks in the pavement just in case something bad happens. And, and the Pharisees had written up something like 600 extra laws about what you could and what you couldn't do as a practicing Jew. And about 200 of these related to food um, and drink and ceremonial cleanliness and washing yourself. And, and actually, when we come back into this story, I am convinced that Jesus broke about 100 of these laws in one full swoop as he used these huge purification jugs that were sacred to provide wine for a wedding. Can you just think about that for a second? How outrageous is this Jesus? You've just got to love him. He just never does what we expect Jesus to do. Because we have our own Jesuses, don't we? You know, we've got gift card Jesus. We've got Sunday Jesus. 
But in reality, Jesus points to God and was God. And God is so much bigger than we'd like to admit. And actually, God is so much more fun than you ever thought. And if you want to take one thing away from this story about Jesus' launch party, learn this, that God is extravagant. God is an extravagant God, a giving God, a God who wants his people to enjoy his best, enjoy his freedom. And God is pouring the drinks at your party. He is not looking over your shoulder, tapping his watch, saying, it's about time, isn't it? And of course, we don't do things that put us in a position where we, we can't glorify God. And you know, our bodies are temples. We want to God, honor God with everything that we do. But do you know what? Even worse than making a mistake from time to time is having a distorted image of what God is like, of what your Father God, your loving Heavenly Father God is like. Because you'll spend your whole life trying to appease or satisfy a God who just desperately wants to have a relationship with you. He just wants to laugh with you sometimes because actually he has completed, he has finished all the work that needs to have happened to lead you into freedom. So will you let him love you? Will you let him laugh with you from time to time? Jesus says in Matthew, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is an extravagant giver. Imagine being the bridegroom after getting 180 gallons of wine that you never paid for at your wedding. You've hit the jackpot. People coming up to being like, amazing wine, just thank you so much. You're like, what? (laughs) Don't mention it, yeah, absolutely, It's it's our pleasure. Where is God at your party? Is he invited into every aspect of your life, or is he only the God that you turn to when things are a bit tough, or when you need a new job, or when you need some more money? Do you know this Jesus? Maybe you've been doing stuff for God the whole time, but you've forgotten that he's Lord of the party. Another verse um, from the Old Testament, Isaiah 25, verse 6 says, The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Isn't that amazing? It comes up again and again in God's story. He's prepared a feast, a banquet, a party for us, and we have to be willing to accept his invitation to let go of the stuff that weighs us down and just to accept his freedom because he is the real master of the wedding feast in this story, and we're all invited. So Jesus loves a party. Jesus also loves to transform. Have you, have you ever hosted a party where you've run out of food? Or a wedding um, that you've been to where they've got the quantities of, of food wrong or drink wrong and it's just so awkward and your blood pressure rises and you just think the world is going to end. It can't get any worse than this. Um, I used to work um, in the catering industry uh, at weddings every other week and it was 
not my favorite job, if I'm honest. Um, but there was a, one Saturday, I was there, and we were at some castle, kind of um, really, really fancy castle towards the Fourth Road Bridge. Um, this amazing place, honestly. Trust me, it was amazing. Um, and we have the bride and groom who start at different sides of the stairs, and they come down this huge staircase, and there's me, dressed all in black, carrying about 20 champagne flutes on my right hand. Um, and I'd been doing it for about 10 hours, and my hand just began to wobble a little bit. And I saw one of them just begin to topple. And the bride and groom have literally started walking down. One knocks the rest of them down like dominoes, and my heart sinks. And I'll never forget the look that my manager gave me. <laughs> Quick turnaround. <laughs> I also lead worship here sometimes. We, we did a wedding, actually, I think, um, uh, I think the guys are actually here today, um, where we, we were singing as they walked in, coming down the aisle. Amazing. She looks beautiful. Everybody's really happy. There's a malfunction in the sound desk, and suddenly my voice, as I'm singing this song, goes at half time. <laughs> Slow motion. <laughs> and I literally had people ask me if I was having a stroke. <laughs> after the wedding had finished. I wasn't. Let's go back to the story. Enough about me. Verse 8, Jesus told them, Now draw some out. Draw some wine out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. And he called the groom aside and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first but you have saved the best until now. Jesus transformed this whole occasion, this whole day, but why did he do that? You know, he's, I wanna be really clear with you, he is not like that creepy uncle that takes magic tricks to weddings and just goes round people trying to make them laugh. At the offset of his ministry, Jesus is making a statement and to be honest, at the time, it was a subtle statement for those who could see what was going on. But he was making a statement about who he was and who he still is. He's the son of God. Carl was sharing with us last week, he's the word made flesh. And he has been given power and authority by God to transform the world around him. He is pointing He's been sent by the God who is the God of transformation, whose kingdom was going to change Israel in the first century, and his kingdom is still breaking out in little pockets of light here in Edinburgh, and I see it in all of our lives as well, and all around the world 2,000 years later. He is pointing to the God who is the God of miracles, the God of the impossible, who led his people through the Red Sea, of Egypt, he, he took his people on incredible journeys and did wondrous signs that we'll never forget, who changed the face of the earth just by using 12 fairly hopeless disciples. And he can transform you. He can transform us, and it can start today. And I'm not just talking about becoming a Christian, even though that might be some of you, what you want to do today. You might want to say, I want to be transformed by God. I want to start following him. But even if we've been following him for ages, he can still transform us. He's here among us, seeking to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring comfort, and to transform us so that we can transform the world 
around us. And he is also present in this world and can sometimes do snap transformations just like that. Addictions broken. Just in, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Addictions broken. Bones reconstructed instantly. Do you know that Jesus? Do you know the Jesus that can heal? Do you know the Jesus that can transform not just your life, but the whole world through his kingdom power? Let's not be afraid to ask Jesus today for his transforming power. And, and actually, when, when preparing this, I felt really um, that God was saying, some of us need to just be encouraged that we are being transformed by God. He is unchanging, and he is using us, and he is changing us. You are not the same as you were when you first came to know Jesus. And sometimes you think, oh, I just want to get there, I want to get there. When am I going to be the, the finished article? I don't know. But his transforming work and his Holy Spirit are, are using you in incredible ways. So don't be disheartened, be encouraged by his presence. And I still haven't quite answered the question, why, why did he transform this party? Why did he supply this crazy amount of wine? He, he wasn't just bored, he wasn't just bullied into it by his mum. No. Um, it says in verse 11 that the first signs, um, these are the first signs through which he revealed his glory. He wanted to reveal a little bit of his glory to those around him and to us as well today through this story. Go back to week one. Last week, John 1, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God, and the, the Greek word is doxa, which just means the splendor and the magnificence of the King. The manifestation of his goodness and his power. Jesus is amazing. He's glorious. He's splendiferous. He is magnificent. And in his life, he came to share the glory of God <clears throat> with the world, which wasn't actually something that he had to do. It's just another sign of his extravagant, giving, and generous heart. So are you ready for an encounter with transformational Jesus, with, with Jesus who wants to give you good things, with Jesus that might want to have you have a bit of fun in your life. And we're almost done here. Um, but I, I want to touch <clears throat> a little bit on um, the, the jugs. Wasn't it a little bit strange um, that Jesus used bathing water jugs as his implements of choice? Um, Jesus tells the servants, he says, fill the purification jars with water. And, and these weren't normally used for drinking. They were used for bathing, for purification, for getting right again with God. When you'd broken rules, when you turned away from God's best for you, when you'd stuffed up. This was one of the ways that you would come back to him. And actually, the answer is in the passage. If we, if we think back to the beginning of the passage where Jesus says to his mother, at the end of verse 4, he says these words, My hour has not yet come. So what is his hour? What, what on earth is he talking about? Um, actually, if we look through the rest of John's gospel, he unpacks that a little bit for us. Um, in John chapter 7, 
John says that they were seeking to arrest Jesus for actually for the stuff that he was saying around here, that he was claiming that he knew God in a special, intimate way that nobody had ever really known before. Um, and they were seeking to arrest him, but nobody laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John chapter 8 says again, nobody arrested him because his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 12, Jesus himself says, now is my soul troubled. He, know, he knows what's coming ahead of him. And he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And finally, in the same chapter, Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And just days later, he hung on that cross and he took on the sin and the shame that he never deserved, that wasn't his to take on. And and he invited us again to feast with him. His hour is the hour of his death when he died for lost children and disobedient sons and daughters and broken humanity to make purification for our sins and set the prisoners free to deal with our guilt and to deal with our failure and coming up short time and time again. And there was a time, be encouraged this morning, there was a time where we needed purification jugs and we needed the ritualistic cleansing to get right with God. But not anymore. Because Jesus Christ died for all to be saved and in his resurrection we can know his freedom and his power and his transformation and I get the privilege of of inviting you again back to Jesus he invites us again to live life in all its fullness not life in all its flatness we don't actually get to carry around this guilt with us anymore because we've been cleansed. So why would you? Why would you not accept the full invitation of Jesus? Jesus said to Peter, um, one of his chief disciples later on in his journey, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And that's big stuff. Unless we accept his purification, unless we accept his cleansing, we can't be with God there's still something that's going to separate us. And, and that's what um, we've got people who are going to get baptized tonight. That's the symbolism of what they are taking part of. It's so exciting. They're saying, I was dead and now I am alive because I stand in the light of what Jesus has done for me. I am embracing a new life. I am embracing freedom because of what Jesus has done for me. And can you think about your own story as well? Can you think about, just for a second, where you're at? with God? Where are my preconceptions? Where are the myths that I maybe am still holding on to about God, holding me back from true freedom with him? How is it stopping me even from going out on mission like he's sent me? Because I haven't dealt with the stuff that actually is about my heart and my head and my mind. Where can he bring transformation into my life and how can he use me for the transformation of the world? 
Because that's his heart. That's what he wants. He wants to call sons and daughters back to him. And he's made a way for us that we may be saved, that we may be changed. Verse 11 says that what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, just as John explains it all to us, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his incredible glory. And it talks about the response of the disciples. And it says just very simply that the disciples put their faith in him. So we don't really need to come up with anything more than that in terms of how we respond. Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus again? And not just to believe, but to put the whole weight of your life, the weight of your decisions, to come back to him in prayer again. Because he's prepared a feast, a banquet, a party for you to be part of. And personally, I really want to be part of that. I don't want to go through life just waiting for something that, and, and, and not seeing something that is right here available to me every single day. The fullness of a life with a loving God. Cool. Should we pray? I'll just leave a little bit of space as we love to do, just so you can tell God what's on your heart. So you can just be really honest with with him as hopefully he's been speaking into your situation, into your life, into your relationships. And Paul says um, that now we can only see kind of dimly, we can only see a little bit of who God is and who Jesus is, but one day we will see in full. And we look forward to that day, but we also ask that we can see as much of you as, as possible, that we would know you just as much as we could possibly ever know you, Jesus. We know that you're revealing yourself to us, and we just ask that the things that distract us, the things that, um, that stop us from seeing you, the veils that we put up and that the enemy would have us um, look into instead of seeking your face fully, that they will be torn down. And I just pray, um, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Um, we know that you've been here all morning and you're always with us, but in a special way just now and that you would peel back the scales from our eyes. And I pray also just for, for those of us that have had... Um, just a bit of a heaviness about faith, that it feels like walking with Jesus has just been a burden, um, that it's something that they have to do, that there's like different um, things that they need to do, need to tell people about you, need to pray, need to do this, need to do that. I just pray that that would be lifted, because you said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And actually, you want us to be free, and, and you want us to enjoy life spent with you. And God, we, we never want to, to take for granted or get tired of just saying thank you for the cross. Thank you for a fresh start with you. 
And we want to know this resurrection power. We want to know your transforming power. We want to pray for people and see people healed. We want to see our communities transformed. And, and we want to see schools flourishing. And we want to see people come and, and pronounce you as Lord of their lives who currently don't. And so sometimes we just hold our hands out in front of us and we just say, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I want to know more of you. Would you come and presence yourself in me? Would I be your temple? Would you dwell within me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit?